Well, good morning and welcome to The Plotting Shed. You're listening to Rachel McCartane. I hope you had a very lovely weekend. I must apologise, I didn't get round to posting my podcast on Friday, but that was because something really exciting happened. Postman arrived and handed me a very large parcel, inside which was the layout for my book, with all the pictures and the page pagination as it's going to look when it gets published. So I've had a very exciting weekend going through everything, uh, relearning how to book edit and checking all the layout and checking the pictures and checking the texts and seeing if I need to reword everything. And it's looking really good. I'm so excited. So that's going back to the publishers today and then we'll get the second revision, which hopefully will be pretty much nearly done. And then it can get published and get put on Amazon and you will be able to download it. Um, It will be called I Want to Like My Garden, How to Make Your Garden Better by Rachel McCartane. So I will keep you posted. The next big thing is getting the book cover finalised. We're kind of almost there. And as soon as that's done, I think then we're ready to rock and roll. So I'm hoping that by the time the sun is getting a little warmer, the rain has stopped pummeling down, the wind has stopped blowing a hoolie, and we start to hit spring, you will have a book that you can be able to download and see how you can make your garden better. It's really, really different. It's just not like any gardening book you will have read about before. But as I said, I'll do a podcast about the book in a couple of weeks when it's really just about ready to go and then you can then you'll know where you can find it. Having been sat there with my book editing skills, I didn't get round to, to doing the, the podcast for today. So what we're going to talk about today, and it really follows on from last week's podcast, which is which we were sort of looking about how garden design should change for the coming millennium and the, and the decades to come. And so I was really sort of looking at how your gardening habits for this year should change. We need to alter how we think about gardening. We need to alter how we actually manage and and do our gardening because the world around us is changing and I think it's important that we actually start to make those changes too. One of my great passions about gardening is to try and make gardening easier. You know, I'm a busy person. I've got a house and a and a husband and he works abroad most of the year and I have three children and the garden to look after and I play sports and I have to work and we have to do the, all the things that we have to juggle. And much as I love gardening and I love being in my garden, I need my garden to be a place that doesn't just constantly demand attention. And over the years that I've been gardening, I've sort of come to realise actually that a significant proportion of the gardening advice in the media and the literature is all created to show you how to make a perfect garden. All the pictures are amazing, you know, these gardens are fabulous, they're lush, they're full of interesting varieties, they're beautifully designed, they're immaculately kept. And the whole of the sort of the imagery that we're being fed by by horticulture, by horticultural experts, by garden designers, is that this is what we should be aiming to achieve. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't do that. I haven't got the time to do that. I just, it's, it's just not feasible. 
I can't justify devoting my entire life to making a perfect gardener. So I've been sort of reviewing and looking at how gardening has, has evolved and how the horticulture industry has evolved us that kind of make us a little bit like a hamster in a wheel. We seem like we're constantly having to run faster and faster to keep up with the things that we are being shown that we should be doing. And actually, I think now, especially with climate change, that's when we kind of need to put the brakes on and go, stop, what are we doing here? And why are we doing it? And what are the gardening habits that we've done? Are they really really necessary? Are the, are the garden police going to be sent round to my garden because I haven't mown it this week? Of course they're not. And it's actually meant that although my garden doesn't look perfect, and it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, I don't feel I'm not being a good enough gardener with it anymore because it has to it's fitted with my rules and my rules are more relaxed and that's fine it doesn't mean my garden is any less of a garden because it's not perfectly done but it means it's my garden that's done perfectly for me and i think if everyone just reviewed and think and reevaluate what is important why am i doing this and should I really be doing it this way anymore? So what am, I, what am I really talking about? Well, if you think in a garden, what do we do? What do we spend most of our time doing in the garden? And for most people, a significant proportion of the time, it's mowing the lawn. It's been ingrained in our collective psyche. Got to keep the lawn looking neat, nice neat edges. You know, you're letting the side down if your grass is looking unkempt. Really? Why? The inference being, if we don't keep it, well manicured, neat and tidy, the garden is out of control. So what do we do? People get their lawn strimmers out, we strim the grass around the edges, we get the hedge strimmers out and we trim the hedges and everything else. But what are we actually creating? Well, first of all, we're creating noise pollution. We're using electricity and resources to keep everything in check and look neat and tidy. With a lawnmower, if it's an electrical lawnmower or if it's a petrol lawnmower, we're using energy all the time. These little tiny bits of energy, or cumulatively, you think how much resource is being used. But what are we creating? And actually, over the last couple of years, it's really dawned on me that what all power tools, especially hedge trimmers, are creating are gardens full of domes. You know, you go out with a hedge trimmer and all you can do is go up and over and down and it creates a very neat dome. So we have short fat domes, we have tall thin domes, we have, we have great big wide domes, but everything is domed. And this isn't actually making gardening easier. You may think it is because it's, it's, we can get out and I can trim it, it's nice and neat, it's taken me 10 minutes. But that's not how the plant grows well. And what happens is you because you're not pruning properly, the actual shrub itself, just gets thicker and thicker and thicker and more dense. And so because it's more dense, the growth and the flowers and the leaves and everything only tend to appear at the top. And so we strim them off in our nice dome-shaped fashion. And you're left with a much less natural-looking plant that's overgrown in the middle, that doesn't grow as well, that just looks ugly and actually takes more work to try and put it right. We then also regaled with images 
in magazines about beautiful gardens and every pot display they're all immaculate there is not a bug munching hole or imperfect leaf or petal anything out of place so we're constantly fed this digest that this is this is what we should be achieving this is all achievable this is this is how it, everyone's garden is and it's just not true but what it means is that we're constantly striving to try and get somewhere to make our gardens look like this so if you suddenly get a, an attack of disease or aphids or something everyone rushes oh i must get rid of it there are tiny fairy mushrooms in the lawn. Oh, I must get rid of those because that's affecting the green lawn landscape. And, and I just think we need to start to question, do we? What will happen if I don't do anything? Well, that plant might die, but then was that plant suitable for living where I live anyway? Or am I just fighting nature trying to keep it there? If the mushrooms come up in the lawn, and they're there for a couple of days, they die down again. The grass still grows back, no, the no harm's done. But because we're almost, not brainwashed, that's not the right word I want to use, but everything is pushing us to sort of try and create perfection. We feel we must have to do something about it. And actually, I don't think we do. My advice for how you should change your gardening habits this year is to really think and take stock about what you're doing in the garden and really how much benefit is it is it achieving so let's take a very contentious issue to start with mowing the grass do we really need to keep it really neatly trimmed i mean how much do you walk on your lawn how much do you actually use your lawn would you use your lawn less if the grass was an inch longer probably not now, I accept that everybody wants to have, have it looking neat and, and overgrown lawns and, and, and messy edges don't look terribly nice. But what you could do if you still want to mow the lawn is raise the level of the lawnmower so that you leave the grass longer because that will help the soil underneath. But secondly, only say maybe mow the lawn once a fortnight but trim the edges once a week. If you've got neat edges but longer grass, it still looks pretty good. And it just means you haven't had to work so hard. The most important thing though, I would actually advocate with regards to lawns is we have to lose the perfect green carpet mentality. If you think about how much water people use with, for example, sprinklers on lawns, or you put the hose out and to water the grass to keep it green, that's using a really valuable resource. Now, I know it's raining a lot and we've got far too much water in the UK, but there are other parts of the world, especially in America, where you see great tracks of sort of really dry, dusty roads, yet perfectly green lawn specimens at the front. You know, it, it just doesn't sit. Why are people trying to fight nature? What is it about a green grass lawn that people associate with being successful or good or a decent person? I think one of the main things that we need to do this year, especially with regard to the grass, is to is to really just sit there thinking the grass will grow back if it if it gets brown. But if the grass is really struggling, why are we constantly trying to fight nature to simply have this what is a socially acceptable lawn? So don't water the grass. Let's keep our valuable resources for the things that we really, really need. It doesn't matter 
if the lawn goes brown. It will recover. And if it doesn't recover, then we make alternatives. Now, I know some of you will still want to use sprinklers and you'll still want to, to water the lawn, but then change it in this way. Put it on at night. Because you will then keep the water in the soil and it won't be evaporated by the heat of the sun. You lose a significant proportion of the water that you water on the grass if you do so when the sun's out. It's just evaporated away. So let's, if we're going to use resources, be efficient. Similarly with pots and having pot displays, water all your pots at night time. The air is cooler, the sun won't evaporate the, the water before the roots have had a chance to, to suck the water up. It's a far more efficient way. So if we mow less often, but we just trim the edges of our lawns, you're not going to create some massive eyesore by having slightly longer grass. But environmentally, it's really, really good. We won't be using the resources as much. When you're pruning and if you're trimming, think twice about getting the hedge trimmer out. Try and create instead a, a shrub that has less is less dense in the middle so that you take more of the middle branches out to create an open shape. Only take out the, the, the branches and twigs on the outside if they're getting in the way or they're too big. Concentrate on, on allowing the shrub to grow in a more natural shape. It will move a little more with the wind. It will look more attractive. Let's try and not have these artificial looking domes. Now, everyone likes colour in the summer and having, you know, summer flowering plants in the garden. And we, we have been conditioned and trained to go to the garden centres and buy this colourful bedding every year. But what happens to it? You chuck it away again at the end of the summer or it dies off. Now, can you really justify that in today's world as a sustainable, sensible, efficient use of resources? All these bedding plants have been grown in perfect conditions. They've used resources to grow in terms of heat and light and water and chemicals. They may have been forced into flowering early, so there's even additional more resources used to get them to flower so that they are ready to buy. Now, I'm not saying that's evil, but at the end of the season, those bedding plants get thrown away and you buy some more for next year. I haven't bought bedding plants for years. I won't buy bedding plants. I buy bulbs. I can buy a few bulbs, put them in the garden, spend the same amount as I would on bedding plants, and those bulbs come up year after year after year. And what's more, I don't really have to water them. I don't have to look after them. They'll come up, do their thing, and then die down again, and then reappear next year. For me, that's a far more efficient use of resources. The last thing I want to really talk about is, in terms of changing your garden habits, it's a little more contentious, but it's really regarding, or less about regarding the garden as your garden. What I mean is that our gardens exist next to each other. They are a series of slightly different environments from fence to fence to fence to fence. Everyone uses different regimes, everyone has different plants, different layouts, different styles, and that's fine. But what we do is we kind of have this fortress mentality. Everything needs to be kept out of my garden for very valid reasons. It's your garden, it's security, it's everything else. 
But the one thing we don't really want to exclude are those small animals that rely on our gardens to forage for food. So very simple things you can do to make sure that there's just a gap, a very small gap in fences that allows little creatures to go between gardens. In the UK, one of our most loved creatures is the hedgehog. Now the hedgehog is brilliant at hunting slugs and bugs and things that eat your plants. But at the moment, if every fence is so secure, they can't get in, your garden can't benefit. My garden is here and I've got the neighbor's gardens all around me, but it is an ecosystem. So how can we connect the ecosystems? Well, it's very simple, have a hedgehog hole in the fence. Start thinking about if I spray in my garden and I spray chemicals in my garden to kill this, that and the other, might that damage somebody else's garden? You know, might those insecticides hurt somebody, my next door neighbor doesn't use spray chemicals, but mine will filtrate into their garden. So it's just about trying to think a little bit bigger than the confines of your own space. You know, what is your garden there for? What benefit are you trying to create? Over the years, my viewpoint has changed. My viewpoint now is that I want to create a space that's outside my back door, where I can feel part of the natural world. For me, it's more enjoyable. I can spend more time in my garden enjoying things. If I can see the natural world outside my doorstep, you know, I, it's very convenient. I can walk out with a cup of tea and I can sit down on a chair and there are butterflies and there are moths in the evening and there may be bats flying around. There's toads in, in some of the, the, the garden borders. I know there's maybe the hedgehog around, live under the shed, but you know those things are there. There's lots of dragonflies. There are lots of damselflies. They're all flying around in the garden. And that for me gives me, because I can sit there and watch them, it means I don't go, oh, that's not perfect, that shrub. I must prune that and, and it's a bit overgrown. But if the butterflies are enjoying it, then I can enjoy the butterflies. And it makes the task of gardening less onerous changing my habits about what I think I should be doing in the garden has made gardening easier for me. Rethink, reevaluate what you're doing that act of gardening for and see whether it really is a benefit or whether it's just a habit. And if it's just a habit, do you still need to be doing it? So next week's post uh, will be all about plants to avoid if you don't like gardening. I hope you tune in. Um, I will look forward to talking to you next week. In the meantime, have a very lovely week. You've been listening to Rachel McCartain of The Plotting Shed. By all means, please do email me, rachel at plantplots.com. You can put any pictures of your garden on our Facebook page, which is Facebook forward slash plantplots. Take a look at the website that we have. There's lots of gardening advice and information on there, or you can email me directly if you have any questions. In the meantime, I hope the weather is lovely where you are. Have a great week and I will speak to you soon.